start over. Hello and welcome to the Thought Fox Writer's Den Conversation Series. I'm your host and the director of Thought Fox, Laura Ehrlich. I'm also the author of the short story collection, Animal Life. Thought Fox is a writing center and retail space featuring writing-related artisan gifts. Located in Stonington, Connecticut's historic Velvet Mill and online, ThoughtFox builds community and supports writers of all levels with in-person and virtual workshops, coaching, events, and more. Learn more at ThoughtFox.org. Today's topic is how to write a novel. We'll be hearing from two award-winning novelists, Crystal Maldonado and Amy Shearn. Disha Basu is unable to join us today, unfortunately. But Crystal and Amy are ready to answer all of your burning questions about the novel writing process, from getting started to sticking with a draft to submitting to agents and editors. Crystal Modonado is a young adult author with a lot of feelings. She's the author of rom-coms for fat brown girls, including The Fall of Wit Rivera, which will be released October 10th, 2023, Fat Chance Charlie Vega, which was a New England Book Award winner, a Cosmo Best New Book, and a Kirkus Best YA Fiction of 2021 winner, and No Filter and Other Lies, which was named a Pop Sugar and 17 Best New YA. Amy Shearn is the award-winning author of the novels Unseen City, The Mermaid of Brooklyn, and How Far is the Ocean from Here, as well as two forthcoming novels. Her work has appeared in many publications, including the New York Times Modern Love Column, Slate, Poets and Writers, Literary Hub, Real Simple, Martha Stewart Living, O, The Oprah Magazine, and Coastal Living. Amy has an MFA from the University of Minnesota. And now, welcome, Amy and Crystal. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hi. Thank Thank you so much. Um, So let's just kick this off by, if you could both give us a really brief overview of writing your first novel. So just tell us the basics, what the first novel was about, um, how long it took you to write it, um, the questions people usually ask when they hear that you write novels. And tell us about the first novel. And we'll start with Crystal. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us. This is going to be so fun. And I'm excited to be back um, chatting with you again. Um, So, okay, my first novel was Fat Chance Charlie Vega. Um, So I started writing that probably in 2016. And it took me about two years to sort of finish the novel. It was um, something I was really passionate about. And I was inspired to write it because I had always read stories growing up and really was like an avid reader. I was that girl who was always at the library and I was like, oh, bookstores are just where I go for funsies. And like, that was me as a kid, as I I think a lot of us are as writers and authors. Um, But every time I would read a book, I never seemed to read about a protagonist that looked like me. Um, So I rarely ever read fat characters. Um, And if there were fat characters they were usually the sidekicks or the best friend um or they were on this quest to lose weight or they hated themselves it just seemed like there were all of these negative sort of connotations affiliated um with this fat person and so i was like what if i wrote a story about a fat girl and she just kind of is and she falls in love and she gets to like experience all of these wonderful tropes that are part of rom-coms that i love um, and so that was really like the kernel of this story idea. Um, and then because I had never really written anything long form before, I just was like, 
I am going to totally write what I know and like steal from my own life a little bit. <laughs> and so I sort of plucked from my own um, romance with my husband because we were high school sweethearts. And I was like, let's just kind of turn that into a book and sort of see how that works. Um, and so it ended up being kind of like a dual passion project, but also my first book. And um, it turned into so much more. And I, I got to explore a lot of themes and, and um, characters that I was really excited about and talk about intersectionality and racism and body positivity while also getting to do like the swooning and the looking at each other and the longing, which is my favorite to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that was a um, kind of the process. And every time I tell someone who is not an author that I've written a book, I usually get like one of two responses, um, not necessarily questions. But the people who are really excited about it will ask, like, oh, what's your book about? And then, of course, my mind goes blank. I forget everything I've ever written. I don't even know how to form a sentence anymore. Um, and then there's the other people who are like, I could totally write a book. And I would if I had time. And then, <laughs> which is, like, my least favorite response. Um, and so there's less questions and more, like, you know what you should do? You should totally send your book to Oprah and then Oprah will blurb it and then you'll be famous. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? So that's, it's, it's fun and always interesting. I feel like being an author. (laughs) Thank you, Crystal. Amy. Um, I love that Crystal. And (laughs) I love the advice too. People people are like, (laughs) Is it going to be made into a movie? You should have it made into a movie. I'm like, great idea. Tell your movie producer friends. I'm aligned with this. Um, I made a note while Crystal was talking, and I just wrote down the longing. Because <laughs> you're right, it's such an important part of any book. <laughs> Create so much tension. Um, your book sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh <laughs> they should make it into a movie. They should totally make it into a movie. Oprah, hello, Ooh. Netflix. <laughs> All right, can you tell them? Make it into a movie. Yes, yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay. You have that authority. Great. No, <laughs> not. Please, no one send me there. <laughs> yes. Fox Films forthcoming. Um, TBD. Sorry, I'm going off the rails. Uh, my first book came out so long ago like before Crystal was born um, in 2008. And, uh, and it was, you know, I, I feel like it, the thing, the kind of secret about many first books is that of course it wasn't my first book. It was probably the third novel that I wrote Um, in graduate school. I had written a collection of short stories, a novella, a very strange novel that sort of got workshopped into oblivion. And I remember my mentor in, um, in graduate school saying, you know, often the graduate school novel, it's usually not your first novel. It's usually your training wheels novel, which of course I was so irritated to hear. And of course is a hundred percent true. Like you just have to write so much stuff to learn how to write the stuff. Um, yeah. So I had, uh, a, finished my MFA. I moved to New York City. I got a job editing and then was writing in the mornings before work. And I sent my collection of short stories to an agent who was like, cool, not interested in a book of short stories, but let me, but I like your writing. So let me know when you have a novel. And in retrospect, this is an interesting response, but I'd, I'd never sent the 
story collection to anyone else. It was just like, great, I'm on it. I'm going to write a novel and send it to him and only him, which I did. <laughs> um, and I really wrote that book in the mornings before work, which I thought was like, I was a total badass at the time. And now I feel like once you have children, you're like, that's not, if you just have a full-time job, you still have plenty of time. <laughs> like that's so much, your mornings are your own, your evenings are your own, your weekends. Um, yeah. And the idea, I'm kind of, I feel like a magpie writer. Like I just sort of collect ideas and characters and, and settings and lines until, I don't know, you just get this feeling where, I mean, it sounds so kooky, but, you know, the characters just kind of keep talking and keep talking. And then you're like, well, I got to I got to start writing it now. Um, yeah. And that that book is really a combination of like every idea I'd ever had, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. And you actually just touched on the next question, which was how do you know which of your ideas to run with? Right. Like we all have hopefully so many ideas of books that we want to write, or maybe we don't have any ideas of books we want to write. We just know we want to write a novel. So how do you find a novel idea and how do you know it's a good one? Um, Crystal, do you want to answer that first? (laughs) Sure. I'm happy to, but I, I also want to hear more about this one agent that you like went and sent you. Like, did anything happen? Did anything come of it? I have so many questions. We'll come back to it. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's like not how you should do anything. Yeah. Don't listen to anything I just said. It's not correct. But I get it. Like, I had my own version of that where it was just like, I had no idea what I was doing. So I was Googling, like, how do you, I wrote a book. How do you get published? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happens now? It's the publishing process is so wild. Um, but in terms of like finding, I guess, an idea to, create a story um it can be really tough and I feel like it's different depending on the book and for me it's different depending on the stage of life I'm in so um Amy touched on some great stuff when she was answering that I I was like oh I totally should have said like I was not a full-time writer when I was writing my first book I was working full-time um I didn't have a kid yet I am a mom now but again like you think, oh, I'm writing this novel and it's so hard because I'm working full time. And then you have a kid and you're like, oh, my God, what was I doing with all of my time before? Too much time. Yeah, <laughs> that I didn't appreciate. Yeah. Um, so for me, like I came up with the idea for Fat Chance Charlie Vega truly by just like reading other books and romance stories that I loved and trying to imagine like, well, if I were going to write a book like this, what would my version of that story look like? What are some things that I wish I could read about or could have read about as a reader when I was a teenager, right? Because I'm writing young adult stories. So I'm often thinking about like teen me or like teens now, what do I think might resonate? So those were all things that really played into the plot and the characters and the stories. So with um, Fat Chance Charlie Vega, I knew I wanted to sort of touch on like a mother-daughter relationship. And I knew I wanted it to be kind of a fraught one where there were these like weird ups and downs. And there were a lot of fights and unresolved you know, discussions where like nobody, there isn't like a nice answer because I felt like I had grown up during this time where 
I like grew up in like the full house era where like families just like hugged each other after 20 minutes and everything was perfect. And there was never another problem. Right. Until the next episode. And I was like, that is not like my life at all. And I want to fix that. So I think um, your own life can certainly serve for that inspiration um, when you're trying to figure out what is it that you want to write about. Um, they say write what you know, but it doesn't have to be like a memoir. You can t- pull like a nugget out, right, where you're like, oh, well, I don't quite have this relationship with my mom. How would I, and you know, dr- dramatic, make that dramatic for a, a novel? Or I really am passionate about clothes. How would I write about a character who's like a little fashionista? Um So those can be inspiring. Um, But for my upcoming book, which is um, The Fall of Whit Rivera, it's about this girl who is obsessed with all things fall. She's super type A, um, and she wants to make sure that she has the best homecoming ever. And she's going to do this by becoming, like, president of the committee and making it, like, super big fall vibes. And I came up with that idea literally just I was sitting in the parking lot I got myself a pumpkin spice coffee. I was like in between leaving my job, going to pick my kid up from daycare. And I had like 10 minutes to myself. It was raining out. And I'm just like, man, this coffee is hitting right. And like, I was like, I just wish I could read like a cozy book about all the things that I love about fall and specifically like New England fall and the changing leaves. And so like that was it. That was all I had. I just was like fall love there's got to be something there and so like I am very much someone who can start on just like vibes and then like Amy says you come up with a character and you start thinking about well what kind of problems can I throw at this character and how would they sort of react to that um and so sometimes it really starts out so so small and all you have to do is just kind of think about okay how do we elevate this right like I've got fall I've got love now we need a person. Okay, I've got Wit, the character, and she's type A. Now who's gonna who's she gonna fall in love with? Who what's her problem gonna be? Um so sometimes it's kind of like building on just tiny little ideas, um, and try trial and error, right? You try some things out and sometimes your character is like, That's actually that's not for me. We're gonna try something else. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was rambling so much, but please, Amy. <laughs> You said so many great things. I took notes. <laughs> I love I love the directive to like start on vibes and then like I was I'm constantly saying this to the point that it's become a joke, but I'm like, that's the situation and what's the story? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Which is like you know, I didn't invent that. Like Vivian Gornick in her book The The Situation and the Story, the story and the situation, whatever it is, um, talks about this. I I think it also relates to memoir, personal essay, really anything. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, so fall and love and high school, like that's the situation. And then what's the story? And I think yeah. a lot of people start off with the situation, which is great. You need that. And then I love the way you said, you know, okay, you got to give the character a problem. Because I yeah. do feel like people, I don't know, you can think about novels as this like mysterious thing and you have to have this like mystical message from the muse to be able to start writing or something but I'm always telling my students and clients like it's it's a series of steps and yeah you know what I mean and you got to figure out what's the character's problem 
what does the character want? What's keeping them from getting what they want? And how are they going to work through those challenges? Like, it's not that mysterious, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I love also what you said about sort of the write what you know directive. Yeah. I think even, I think Flannery O'Connor said, you know, anyone who's lived to the age of 11 or something has enough material to write for a lifetime. It's true. It's like, even if, the stories didn't happen to you. You have had things happen to you and you know sort of big T truths about life. And then you just, totally. you know, you add some little T truth that maybe you didn't live through or that you imagined or that's the more exaggerated version of your story. Um, yeah. Amy, you just touched a little bit on um, uh, the next question, which is pantsing or not not pantsing. That's, that's a different thing. We don't want to pants here. But... <laughs> Plotters and pantsers. I think that's what we're going for. People who <laughs> plot or outline their novel in advance and people yeah, who just wing it and fly yeah. by the seat of their pants. Yeah. So which one are you both? Um, and does one work better for the other? Why did you choose um, the outlining or the, what do we say, the pantser pro- process? It's just sort of like writing as you go. Yeah, the wing in it, I guess. Wing in it. Yeah. <laughs> I I guess so I've written five novels and I I'm a switch when it comes to novel writing. <laughs> like I'd say every other novel I have a different way of writing it. Um and I think I mean Crystal this I I wonder if this resonates to you, for you too. I feel like whenever each novel I write is sort of shaped by just what is going on in my life then just I mean logistically like what kind of time do I have to write? And, you know, there's a novel I wrote um, when I was a mother of young children and, like, writing during nap times. Um, that's The Mermaid of Brooklyn. And it's essentially a long, short story. <laughs> and it I had no outline. I really was starting with vibes and, like, sort of a central question that I was interested in. And, um, and like Crystal was saying, sort of writing the book I wanted to read, like, I wish this book was on the shelf. I guess I'll write it. Um, and, but I ha- had no outline. I was just like writing as I went. And then my next book had a very detailed outline. I did all this research. I knew exactly what was going to happen in each chapter. I had these, um, interwoven points of view and, and, and two different historical timelines. So I really needed an outline to sort of keep it straight in my head. Um, then the next one, no outline. And then the next one, no outline. So I, I really, th- I don't, I think so much of writing is figuring out what works for you realistically in your current life as it is. That it can change, right? Like that there's no one way to do it for any writer, but then even within one's own personal work, you might change your approach from project to project or in the middle of a project, maybe yeah. you're winging it and then you decide you need an outline or vice versa. So yeah. Crystal, how about you? Yeah, I, well, I just wanted to reiterate, I just love whenever the idea comes up of, like, there is no right way to be a writer, right? Like, you have to figure out through trial and error to figure out what works for you. Um, I get so frustrated by kind of blanket, like, you must do X or Y advice that is, like, it's out there, it's everywhere, and it's wrong, because it's not, it doesn't work for everyone. Like, I've read the, the advice of, like, you have to write every day. I do not write every day. I don't like 
daydream every day probably, but like, do I write every day? Absolutely not. And so I think that is such a key, important, um, I guess, piece of advice to take away from this. Like if you take away nothing else, there are no rules, right? And it's all about what works for you. Um, and so for me, in terms of like writing outlines or just winging it, I honestly think if I didn't have deadlines, I would just be someone who kind of goes with the vibes. Like I start with a vibe and I continue with the vibe. <laughs> but um, deadlines make it so that I have had to become a bit more of an outliner and a planner. Um, <laughs> and clearly you can tell by the way I'm saying it. I don't love it. I just do it because otherwise I could spend forever working on a book um, and they need to sort of get done. And so like Amy said, I've had some books where I have meticulously outlined, you know, every single chapter to know where things are going. So um, my book that I'm currently working on is my fourth young adult book. It only happens over the span of about two weeks. And so I really needed to plan um, it's a road trip book. So where are they like in the country? How long are they there for? Does this location make sense? So that required a lot of research beforehand. Um, and I only can imagine if you're doing something like a historical fiction or something with like two timelines, as Amy was talking about, you probably are going to need to plot that out and outline it a lot more than something that is kind of loose with its timeline and maybe you don't have a deadline and you can sort of just live in the manuscript for a little bit and feel where the characters want to take you. I think both are super valid and both can be fun in their own ways. Um, because when you outline, sometimes the writing gets super easy because you're like, I did all the hard work already and now I can just kind of go versus when you're winging it, it can be kind of like meandering, but that can also be nice in its own way. So yeah, for me, it really is like project to project. And do I have something I like, do I have a deadline I have to meet? Do I have extra time? How much time? What's my kid doing? Do I have childcare right now? <laughs> all those things. All the logistics. Yeah. <laughs> No, and we just, uh, so I think we, we touched on how you start a novel, how you come up with the idea, how you get started. Um, what happens, though, when you get stuck? So usually I find when writing a novel um, that I get stuck in the middle, the saggy middle, and yeah. it's where you, you're, it's sort of momentum flags and where you really hit the problems inherent in your plot or your character development or whatever. Um, so... I have strategies for moving forward, but I'd rather hear about yours. So what do you, you guys do? Where do you get stuck and how do you get past it? Well, it's funny when you were, Crystal, when you were just talking about outlining, I was thinking that's often advice I give to, um, cause I work with private clients who often who are stuck in their writing. Yeah. And I feel like something that can be really useful when you're stuck in a big project is reverse outlining. Mm -hmm. um, which is just like looking at what you have done and then outlining it. Um, and then it can, and, and um, mapping out sort of what happens in each chapter or section of the book, you know, like making sure every chapter is uh, advancing the plot or revealing character, making sure every scene is sort of working. Um, and also just getting really crisp on what the, what the main question of the book is mm -hmm. or what the story of the book is. Like I definitely 
have written many things where I, <laughs> I write a whole draft and then figure out what it's about. But it's like you have to get to that point eventually where you can you could sort of say the story of it in two lines, maybe. And if you can't, then um, it's sometimes uh, maybe a moment to sort of look at the whole thing, be a little more thoughtful about sort of like what work each part of the book is doing and, and how you're going to solve your character's problem. Um, and then something Crystal said earlier, just re- reading, <laughs> like reading. Yeah. I also think it's helpful to outline a book that you love and just take a look at it, like outline it, reverse outline it sort of as if you had written it and you were trying to figure it out. What happens in each chapter? What work is each chapter doing? Um, and then, I don't know, it's like a way of, like, crystallizing what what you're trying to do. I feel like Crystal has a good idea about this. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I loved all the advice that you just gave. I would co-sign all of it. And then I guess also add, um, so in terms of just, like, how exactly, like, what do you do when you get stuck? I often take a break, and I don't know if that is the, the best advice, but for me, I'll sort of take a break from whatever I'm writing, and I'll start consuming other types of media that I love and that, you know, maybe make me feel inspired. It doesn't have to be books. It can be movies. Sometimes it's TV shows. Sometimes it's just music. Um, basically, kind of taking the pressure off um, often helps me to sort of get back into that mindset of allowing my imagination to kind of run wild and think about, oh, how would this character react to this song? Or how would I handle a situation that's sort of playing out in a movie with the characters that I have? Um, and sometimes that is enough to jumpstart it. But sometimes I, I really do need, like, help. And sometimes it might mean that the story like the chapter I'm working on maybe that's not working um so sometimes I'll you know put that aside save what I've written um and I might try writing the scene differently right I might put the characters in a different place or I might have something else happen um and sometimes that change is enough to either confirm yes whatever I had written was bad garbage and I needed (laughs) I needed to make this change or sometimes it's like oh no I realized the problem with the other thing I had written and now I can go back and I can fix that problem um, and feel a little bit better about what I'm sort of creating. It really, I feel like depends on where it is that you're stuck too, because in the middle, sometimes there's just so much, you feel like you got to pack in. And then the beginning, it's just like, I sometimes have a hard time getting started in the beginning because I don't know the characters yet, which I think maybe sounds silly, but you get to know them as you're writing them. And so often I find when I get to the end of a book, I have to go back to the beginning and kind of reshape some of the characters because by the end I know who they are. So I know what they would say. I kind of know better how they would react to things. And so when I go back to those early chapters, I'll have to be like, oh, no, she wouldn't say that or he wouldn't do that. So let me just fix that really quick. Um, so really I think it, it – it depends. Um, I've also had, I mean, clearly I've had trouble with every part of the novel. I've also had trouble with the endings too, where sometimes it's just, it ends or it like, it's too abrupt. And so you're like, Oh, I gotta add some more stuff. It can't just be done. Right. <laughs> and we've got to figure that out too. Um, can we just say writing is hard y'all? Yeah. <laughs> Those are hard. Every part is hard. It totally <laughs> part of is. Writing. 
Each one is its own difficult beast. So you kind of think, oh, okay, I've written a, a manuscript, so I can do the next one. It'll be much easier. No. Yeah. And the right. problems are different every time. Like, you think, oh, I had problems with X on this manuscript, so I won't have that problem in the next one. But then there's a whole different problem that you didn't have and you never thought of. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask you a question? Is that loud? Um, because you said you have your own ways of getting unstuck. Could you share one or two? I can share, yeah, and then we'll talk about mm. endings. Um, yeah, no. So when I get stuck, I like to go take a walk and talk to myself. Mm. Love that. Uh, and yeah. I am such an advocate of dictating um, as a means of getting a first draft out because yeah. Um, when I type something or write in my in my notebook, it feels like I'm committing words to paper or to the page, and it can feel intimidating at the beginning of a project or mm-hmm. as I'm developing a plot. So I like to drive around or walk around and just talk to myself and say, well, what would that character do now? And really, it's just a conversation, and it takes the pressure off. And then when I get home, I transcribe it, and I can cut out all of the sort of the garbage conversation, the hums and hmms. And I'm left with a nice little outline, and that's how I drafted the novel um, that will be coming out in 2025. So, yeah, I think just trying that's to take the pressure idea. off and realizing that it's not um, it's not on your tombstone, right? It, it can yep. be changed. Uh, I love that. Me too. I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's a different. It's sort of like a different muscle. Yeah. I heard it first, but it's it's useful. That's great, though. I mean, it reminds me of sort of the advice, the revising advice of, like, put it in a different font, put it in some format you're not used to seeing it in, so that you just anything that sort of forces you to see the work with fresh eyes. Like, I love the idea of, like, changing the, the form or dictating. Yeah, and we'll talk about revision. That's a really great, those are great strategies right there. Um, but let's talk first. At what point do you both share a manuscript with readers? When's too early or not early enough? Um, oh, I mean, readers. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Amy. <laughs> you, you can take a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I personally don't usually share anything until I have a draft, a whole draft. Yep. And then I have a couple dedicated first readers who have, a couple of them have read all of my novels, first drafts, and, um, they're all people who are friends, but also writers. And I think, I'm trying to think, they've all taught, I think, or edited. So it's like, it's that place of, I know they're going to be kind. I also know they're going to be very honest. And I also know they know kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, and I'm very lucky to have people like that in my life. And, uh, but I do think, I mean, I feel like a lot of my, students and writers I work with are much more collaborative in the way they write drafts or might be workshopping something as they go or might be working with a writing coach or me or someone else and like sharing drafts along the way and sharing chapters along the way. And I do think for some writers that's very liberating and also really helps them to get through a draft. Cause like Crystal was saying, you know, about having deadlines, like often, I mean, kudos to you for having deadlines for your books. I don't think I've ever had a deadline for a book. Like, no one's ever like, where's that book, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just sort of writing it and then being like, ah. 
but so if you don't have a deadline or anything like that and it's you know it's so pleasant not to write like, there's so many really great things to do besides writing um so then like if you're having a hard time kind of staying on track with it it can really help to somebody who's offering some kind of accountability whether it's like a coach that you're paying, whether it's a friend that you're doing an exchange with, whether it's a class, there's all these amazing manuscript generator classes that go for like a whole year. I've never done anything like that, but I have observed it being very helpful to people as they move their drafts along. But I tend to like write in a little like cave and then be like, I wrote a book. (laughs) I don't know if that's healthy, but... I can so relate to that. I mean, I didn't even tell anybody I was working on my first book, except yeah. my husband, until, <laughs> yeah, I just, like, was like, it's, it's so, nobody has to know, nobody will read this, and then, of course, it became a thing, and people read it, but it was weird, yeah. Um, I'm the same, I'm very similar, I don't um, really share the manuscript until kind of I have a first draft and I feel good about it, um, but I will say that I will sometimes share um, passages or certain parts with like close trusted friends. So um, I used to only ever share very early drafts with like my husband. So he is not a writer, but he is an artist. And so um, he is obviously super supportive, but also willing to say like, oh, this doesn't quite make sense. Or this is sort of an area that I feel like you could build on. Um, and so I really trust his opinion on, on those things. And, um, I love sharing them with him. He, he loves to have me kind of talk through plots with him. So that's super helpful. Um, but at, through the years, I've been lucky enough to make a couple of friends who also do writing or are familiar with it or have edited kind of like Amy was saying. And so with those folks, sometimes I'll share, you know, a snippet here and there and be like, what is the tone here okay or um recently I shared like the intro like the first couple of paragraphs to the newest um manuscript I was working on with a friend being like does the voice in this work like is it too similar to what I've done previously Mm -hmm. um and sometimes that feels nice to just be able to talk it out with someone else who has been there who knows and is familiar with your work and who you don't have to sort of explain everything to, right? Like, that's why it's kind of nice, even if you only have one friend who's interested in in writing, just to have that person who, like, gets it, where you don't have to explain, like, okay, so here's how publishing works, and (laughs) here's what my previous works look like, and blah, 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 blah. It's nice to be like, what do you think of this? And know that they'll give you an honest answer without, you know, crushing your spirit because I'm also very sensitive and <laughs> I don't want to hear no. like this is the worst yeah you know? like be brutally honest but not in a way that hurts my feelings <laughs> exactly tell me if you hate it but also I would cry so yeah. um think think wisely about that so good luck exactly exactly but I do I love Amy's suggestions of like enrolling in these classes and I personally know of several people who have gone that route and get a lot out of being able to share chapter by chapter or whatever, like, um, you know, couple of chapters at a time or part one or whatever works for you. Um, I recently just did an, like an IP project where I was co-writing with someone else for the first time. And so we were passing the manuscript back and forth, which was the first time like professionally I'd ever done that. I had done it in the world of fan fiction back in the day, but, but not, 
<laughs> for like a manuscript that will be published. Um, and I found that it was actually really fun and invigorating. And it was kind of nice to have somebody read things as you went. And it kind of added this extra fuel where you're like, oh, she thought that was funny. Oh my God, that's so fun. And I'm going to do something else that's kind of funny in the next one. And so there is something I think to be said about having that real time feedback and knowing, um, knowing kind of what maybe you need to add to the next chapter or two, um, which can be really nice. Yeah. I kind of wonder, having never done a class like that as a student, I, I wonder, um, like maybe if you write a novel that way, then you don't have to write three novels before you write one that's good. Like I wonder. <laughs> I know. I maybe more efficient, <laughs> and we'll figure it out. <laughs> Someone report back to us, please. Yeah, yeah. Let's know. Yeah, I think the three of us here probably have a lot of. Um, I won't call them failed novels, but education, maybe like training novels under yeah. 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 Yes, um, that's and we for sure. Questions from listeners that we'll get to in a second. But first, um, how do you decide what feedback to use? What's useful and what's sort of not so useful in revising your work? So say you have three um, people who've read your manuscript and they have conflicting advice or conflicting feedback. How do you how do you navigate that? That's such a good question. I know. <laughs> I feel like I've, I think about this a lot because I teach workshops and I feel like I always want to figure out how to say to the writers in the workshops, like, you don't really have to listen to all of us, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> people do give you, I mean, you need to be open to feedback. Otherwise, what's the point of it? Right, but, of um, course. but right. How do you figure out which feedback? And I feel like it has so much to do with if the person seems to understand the project of the book or your writing, and that, that one's easy to tell. I think it's easy to sort of dismiss the advice of someone who's like, I don't really like this kind of book. I wish it were, you know, a Disney book, and this is what you could do to, to make it something I would like. You're like, okay, me too. Yeah. Um, but I think if it's, it's like you kind of, it feels a little different when it's something that you kind of knew was a flaw in the book or something that you couldn't quite figure out. Um, like you get that, that moment of like, Oh yeah, I knew that wasn't quite working. And then I think too, sometimes feedback can be like, sometimes the people who are giving you feedback don't know how to fix it, but they know how to point to it. So it's like, like you said, you might have three people in the workshop who are all like, the ending isn't working for me and they all have different advice for the ending. And I feel like that is so helpful in that, you know, there's something wrong with the ending. Like you don't, you still don't really know what it is or how to fix it, but it's like everybody is pointing to something. Um, and sometimes people in, in pointing to it, um, they might point to something that is symptomatic of the problem and not the actual problem itself. You know, yeah. so um, it's interesting when you actually get into the revision and you start working out the end and you realize, oh, that's why that person felt like it was too abrupt. It wasn't because the ending was too abrupt. It was because I hadn't led up to it enough. So yeah. it's not the ending that's the problem. It's the 50 pages before the ending. So you can kind of discover the problem is you start working through it. Crystal, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. So I think um, when you get those con that conflicting information and you just, I think a lot of people 
are willing to share their thoughts, which is wonderful. But then you as the author are still the one who's going to have your name on this manuscript, right? You're going to be affiliated with it. So I feel like you have to feel okay with whatever suggestions you decide to take or reject. Um, I love what Amy said about that feeling kind of like that gut feeling when you, you get some feedback and you're like, yeah, I kind of knew, or like maybe you could sense there was something not right with a certain passage or a couple of chapters and then somebody else voices it and you're like, that feels like they kind of get it. So I think those are really important to sort of take in um, and sit with, even if you don't take action the same way that the person who gave you the critique suggests. So, you know, if they say, I don't like the ending and this is how, would, how you should fix it, you don't have to fix it like that, but you could take a look at the ending, right? And so I think that's gaining that piece of it and sort of going through with like a highlighter and being like, I've been given all this information. Now me, I have to figure out what is, what is this person actually saying to me? I think that is the most important piece of critique. Um, and I also think, while you should absolutely be open to critiques, I think it's okay to sometimes be like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with this or because of what I'm trying to do with the manuscript, I don't want to make this change in this way. And I think that can be okay too, as long as you can sort of explain slash back it up. Right. So I know when, um, for my first book, one of the um, critiques I had gotten from my editor was, can we have Charlie, the main character, and her mom sort of have like a nice, um, like a nice hug or, or something at the end where they sort of get each other? And I was like, no, they cannot because they, that is not the type of relationship they have. But I was like, but what I will do is I will have them have a conversation that does dive a little bit deeper into their relationship, but that lets readers know that that they're never going to have that hug. They they may long for it, but that's not going to happen. Um, and so it was like a nice compromise, right? Like cause everyone is coming to your manuscript with their own thoughts and feelings and experiences and wishes. And really you're the author. So at the end of the day, you have to make sure that your book still feels like it's, it's yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you both are talking about um, staying true to your vision. And I think I want to underline that as well, because there was um, the first novel that I wrote, and it is unpublished um, for good reason, but it was one of those training novels. Um, I shared it with everyone I could think of for feedback, and then multiple times. So I had, I don't even know how many people read this thing. And every time they read it, it would change and morph um, in some good ways and then in some ways that took it away from what it was intended to be. Mm -hmm. And I think, looking back, that in part that was because I hadn't generated enough confidence yet in both the vision that I had for the piece and in myself as a writer to know what um, – what direction I wanted to take and just say no, as you said to some folks and be like, no, I don't, I don't want to pursue that line of inquiry for this work. So I think that takes some practice, confidence and just, um, um, yeah, some time to develop that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's like, I just feel like, okay, in real life, I don't like conflict and I just want to make everyone happy. <laughs> Yeah, as a writer, you just can't be like that. You just, you won't write anything that's worth anything. Like you have to, the things that you write are, not everyone is going to like them because 
that you can't make something that everyone likes. And if you try, you end up with like, I don't know, something totally bland. Um, and yeah, you just, you just got to do the thing you want to do. It's true. And that made me think about like keeping the audience in mind, like who are you writing this for? And so there's you, but there's also kind of like the idealized person that you would love to hand your book to and be like, Oh my God, I think you're going to love it. I hope you do. And so, like, keeping them in mind, I think, can sometimes be helpful when you have that feedback, too, right? Like, what is the kind of story that I'm hoping to be able to give to that person or to that audience? I love that, yeah. It's like the famous Kurt Vonnegut piece of writing advice of, like, write to please just one person. Yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah, and I feel like it's so true. It can be, like, your ideal reader. It can be you 10 years ago. It can be you as a kid. It can be whoever your ideal reader is. Just keep them in mind and write for them. Yeah. And that might mean that your book, if it's published, will resonate with only a small group of people. (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay, right? Like, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. It's it's just, it means, as long as someone feels something when they read it, I feel like, whether they love it or hate it, but like Amy said, the bland middle is to be avoided, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about how we know we're done. So how do you know a manuscript is, I mean, if it gets picked up by an editor, you'll keep working on it with the editor. But how do you know it's time to start submitting it to agents or to editors if you're going with um, small presses that don't require an agency submissions? I think it, for me... I could work on a manuscript forever and still feel, and I think a lot of us feel this way, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like when I hit a point where I feel like there are no more kind of like structural, large changes that I can make, right? Like this manuscript has come so far. I've made these changes. I've read it through a couple of times. I've, I've like exhausted a lot of my options, right? It's like, okay, at some point you have to pass it on. So I think you never want to submit just like a first draft. You want to give it some love. You want to spend some time with it. But I also think there's nothing wrong with like, I'm, I feel good about this, right? Like I feel like this is ready and there isn't, I wish there was a sweet spot to be like, you have to edit it exactly three times. And then once you do that, it will be, yeah, it would be nice. Um, But I think it's truly like a feeling that you get, right? Like, do you feel excited about sharing this with somebody um what does that sort of look like for you can you explain your story in a can you write like a synopsis for it because that if you are going to go um with larger publisher or try to find an agent or whatever you have to be able to sort of explain it so like if you can do that and you feel like okay this is a story it's got a beginning middle and end i feel good about this i think there's someone out there then i think like it's time you got to send it off and maybe you even start thinking about like the next project during the dreaded waiting period where you, <laughs> you're waiting so long to hear from someone. Yeah. There's so much waiting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all great advice. That feels right. And I think too, especially for a first time writer, like really just, do everything you can stand to do with the book. It's like when you're totally out of ideas and out of juice for the book, that's when it's time to like query an agent or something, you know, like I feel like I 
that thing of, okay, I finished my book. I think it's pretty good. I think I'll maybe query agents or send it to publishers and, and maybe some editor will help me fix it. Like, it's not how it works. Yeah. Um, especially not for a first time writer. It's just like you have to like, yeah, do every, exhaust all your resources. Um, you know, have your friends read it, hire someone to read it if, if that feels right. Like, um, put it away and then look at it in a month like all the really annoying things just because often if you do get someone's attention I mean it's true even submitting to a literary magazine or like pitching a magazine for an article or an agent or an editor you you usually get you have their attention for like 20 seconds you know what I mean and you don't want to have their attention and then show them kind of a rough draft and have them be like Okay. <laughs> you know, like they're yeah. busy people. They have a lot of things to do. So it's like you want to make their jobs as easy as possible. And so wait until like you've done everything you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think it's helpful to remember too to write the best book you can write in this moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. Always project forward and think, oh, I think I could write this. It could, you know, you have like your ideal manuscript in your mind, but really there is a limit to what we can do at any given moment. And so you can think, okay, this is the book that I can write right now. Mm-hmm. And then maybe in three years I can write, you know, a different book or a different version of this or what have you, but always sort of knowing it could be better. I think that's the balance. It's like, you know, it could be better, but you can't find any other way to make it better in this moment. So that's right. to hand it off, right? Yeah, yeah, I love that. An editor I used to work with used to say, um, no one, the reader doesn't know what isn't there, which I feel like is so good to remember. Like if you're like, oh, but in my vision of this book, it also had this and this and this. Like the reader doesn't know that. You <laughs> <laughs> see like all the, you know, what isn't there. They're just going to see what is there. Yeah, which is why I think people tend to think that writing a novel is easy. You know, non-writers, they're like, oh, well, yeah, because they don't know all of the turmoil. Oh, exactly. And that's probably a good thing. Um, Um, The only other thing I just want to add super quickly is as you were talking, it made me think about, um, obviously, after you exhaust all your options, you get to this point, I think, of not being so precious about the manuscript, too, where you're almost like, someone please help me make this better, right? And so when you get to that place and you're ready, you're excited, you're like, someone else, look at this, and please tell me if I did a good job, what do I need to fix? I think that's um, an important, like, place to get to, too, because you don't want, you really don't want to be that person who's like, no, it is perfect in its form right now, and I make no changes, right? You want to be open and willing, so that's, that's, the other part <laughs> that's yeah that's so smart that's such good advice so I feel I feel like being a writer being a publishing writer there's like when I I've got to come up with like a less gross way to to think about it but I think of it as like the thin the thin skin thick skin like yeah. me being a writer it's like to write you have to be very like porous and open to the world and open to possibilities and then you have to sort of like at some point switch over to the version of yourself that's very thick skin is like people will, I will get criticism. I will get feedback. I will not be personally, emotionally destroyed by it. And like start thinking about the book as, as an object outside of yourself and as something that you can talk about in an objective way. And um, it's right. 
I think you're right, Crystal. It's like when you're ready to make that switch. (laughs) That's such a good way to put it because you do, you've got to be nimble. You have to sort of be able to go between those two things. Have your thin skin, have your thick skin (laughs) and know when to use it, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, and in a second we'll get to questions. Um, but first, let's just touch briefly on the business side of things. So this basically we want to help people stay motivated to write a novel. But when it comes time to hopefully publish your novel, um, let's talk really quickly about how there are many ways to do this. But t- share your experience finding an agent and a publisher for the first novel. Cool. I'm happy to jump in. If- <laughs> Um, so for me, I like to make it clear that I knew absolutely nothing about publishing going into publishing. So like, if you're watching this, you were a step ahead of me when I was back in 2018 and I decided to query because I, I truly do nothing. I knew nobody. Um, I just liked to read and I liked to write. And so once I finished my manuscript, um, and I had sort of used like other young adult books I loved as kind of a model to sort of like, okay, this is kind of the story structure and this is what I'm going to kind of base my book on. Um, once I did that, I truly Googled everything. I was like, okay, how do I find an agent? What are the different ways you can get published? Because it's, you don't have to go the traditional publishing route. There are indie publishers. There's the big five or the big now I don't even know how many there are now because they keep buying each other but um, (laughs) there's all these different avenues you can self-publish and what does all that look like and what's in advance like it is there's so much information out there so for me I get overwhelmed by information quickly and so I kind of went step by step so um, you know I was like I wrote a book now what um, and Googled that and it was like, oh, if you want to be traditionally published, you probably want to find an agent and your agent can take care of a lot of the nitty gritty. And I was like, oh, thank God, I will have someone else to help me with this. So I spent a lot of time looking up, you know, how do you find a literary agent? What does that look like? And um, for me, I wanted I knew I was writing this story about a marginalized girl who had these identities that are not always represented in YA or at least not at the time and um, so that felt like a really important piece when I was looking for someone to represent my book I wanted to find somebody I wanted to find an agent who was passionate about some of those same things I was right who understood that the identity of my character meant a lot who could tell a good story who had been successful right and who had maybe gotten some other agents or other authors published um, and then from there, once I had a person um, to reach out to, I had like a spreadsheet and I had all these names and all these <laughs> emails of like, okay, these are the agents I'm going to reach out to. Every single agent has their own submission guidelines. So make sure you like look through those and follow their guidelines because some will want the first like page some will want the first 500 words some will want the first like 10 page it it's totally all over the place so i had to you know make a list of like okay this agent wants this this agent wants that um and then event and i had like a timeline i was like okay i'm going to query these three or four and then after x amount of time i will query the next three or four and then after that so that's kind of when that thick skin i feel like comes in handy because sometimes you're just not going to hear back Sometimes you're going to get rejected. 
Um, but you will eventually find a literary agent. And then once you do, now you've got a buddy and it's the <laughs> best. And there's somebody, hopefully, um, who's in your corner and can sort of help you navigate the trials and tribulations of publishing and what that looks like um, and can answer your questions and can kind of fight for you and help you figure out which publisher is going to be the right fit for you, um, which editors to go on sub to. All of those pieces are really important um, and they all work together. And I feel like I oversimplified how long that process is. It is so long and there's so many steps. And you also have to have those check-ins with yourself to make sure you feel like you're getting what you need every step of the way too, right? Like, don't just accept the first literary agent who's like, you seem cool. Like, make sure that the vibe is there, right? Like, you should like each other and you should feel like you get each other. You should feel comfortable together. Um, and then, yeah, and then eventually, hopefully, after some rejections, maybe, hopefully not many, you may get an offer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know I oversimplified that so much, but Amy, please hop in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's really great advice. Like, I feel like my um, experience getting my first agent, I'm on my second agent now, getting my first agent and my first book published, I don't even know that that much of it is even relevant anymore because this was like 2006 when I was querying and it was like a different world, not to sound a thousand years old, but I mean, like there wasn't really social media. Like there, I mean, agents didn't always have websites. Like it was just like such a different world. And, um, but I think what Crystal said is exactly right. Like you look at authors who you feel like you could see your book on the shelf with theirs. You look at who, you know, people think they're agents and their acknowledgements. You just like, Go super old school, go to the bookstore, look in a bunch of books, look in the acknowledgements. Also buy their books, because if you're a writer, you have to buy other people's books, because those are the rules. Um, <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta support. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, and then like Crystal saying, look up those agents. I love the spreadsheet idea. Um, look up those agents, see what their submission requirements are. And then I think also just remember that like, it's people get frustrated. It takes forever. Um, sometimes you don't get a response, but, and people get very, uh, emotional about that. And I think it just helps to remember that like agents and editors, even editors at the, the big five New York publishing houses, they're so busy. They're so overworked. They, you know, like your editor will be like, I'm going on vacation. So now I can read your book. And you're like, Oh God, no, <laughs> like that shouldn't be what you're doing on vacation. Um, but, um, and so it's like, just, just remember that on the other side of that email is like a very busy person who loves books or they wouldn't be in the industry and like they're trying. Um, yeah. And then I have published with both big, big five publishers and indie publishers. And I think there's actually a lot to recommend either process. Mm -hmm. um, they're really different experiences, but they're both great and sometimes terrible in their own ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is just a story. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> like writing life in a nutshell. Right. Sometimes <laughs> it's terrible. It's never boring. No. Now, if you two have a few more minutes, we do have some questions from mm -hmm. listeners. Sure. Yeah. All right, so Andrea Renard, I just put it up on screen, says, I recently heard Courtney Mom talk about auditioning her characters. I'm curious how well you know your characters or if they slip the leash and shock you with new stuff as you write. 
I love this idea of auditioning characters. That's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that for me, I spend a lot of time kind of in my head with these characters before I commit them to the page. And so occasionally they will change shape, change form, change attitude, change voice, even before they've even entered into my story. Um, because I kind of have to feel like I get to spend some time with them and I, and that they, um, work well with the main character before they even have a significant role. Like, so I might have an idea like, okay, there's the main character. Here's her best friend. And here, I think her, I want her best friend to be tough and this is the dynamic. Um, and then I'm thinking about like, okay, so then how would that work in these certain scenarios? And sometimes it changes. I might be like, you know what? I think a soft best friend would actually be better. Um, so I guess in a way I do audition these characters, but just in my imagination. <laughs> what about you, Amy? Yeah. I mean, I think I sort of, um, I try to wait and to start a book or a short story until it feels like the characters li- just won't stop talking, you know? So I feel like I try to get to know them well before I start writing a lot of, Writing fiction sounds like a mental illness, I think. <laughs> you know, they just really love talking. And <laughs> Who says we can't do both? At the <laughs> it's like maladaptive daydreaming or... Or plotting. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I do think characters will do unexpected things, which is like one of the most fun and weird parts of writing. Where you're like, where'd that come from? And then I also just want to say, hi, Andrea. Um, Courtney mom, who she mentioned is, um, has a great newsletter on Substack. I think it's called before and after the book deal, but just look up Courtney mom. Cause it's a great, really, really useful newsletter, particularly for new writers, I think. And also Andrea is a writer and I just have her book right here. So I'm just going to hold it up. Her first book of short stories just came out. Murmurations. It's very good. Cool. Congratulations, Andrea. <laughs> Sorry, Andrea. Okay. <laughs> Nope. See, writers, and that's, that's, I think, a great point to make. We support other writers, and one of you, and I'm forgetting who, I think it was Amy, said, it is a rule of writing by other writers. You have to. Attend their events. Um, be a good literary citizen. Absolutely. Um, okay, we have uh, one more question today. This is from Emily Wallahan. Novel writing is a long process, clearly. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> what do you read while you are writing or waiting? Do you read books within the same vein of your own writing? What's a strategy to not obsess? Oh, great questions. For me, when I'm writing, I usually will read outside of my genre, um, or sometimes it'll be the same age category. So I write young adult, like contemporary rom-coms. So I usually will not read another YA contemporary rom-com at the same time. But I might read another young adult book, but it might be like a horror book or, um, you know, historical fiction, something that's not the exact same, because I have noticed I will tend to adapt or or like pull things from what I'm reading without even realizing that that's what I'm doing until later. Um, so I, I don't I try not to like cross pollinate in that way, which is a weird way to put it. But um, I do, or sometimes I'll just read completely differently, right? Like, so I'm writing YA fiction. I'm reading Paris Hilton's memoir. It just is what it is. <laughs> that sometimes can be great because then you get out of your head a little bit. Um, and then in terms of, like, not obsessing just in general, 
I think having a lot of really lovely things outside of the writing world will keep it will be what keeps you sane so whatever that is right like have another hobby or have a great friend who knows nothing about publishing and doesn't want to talk about it at all but you guys are really great at going to like the coffee shop or going to concerts whatever it is I think sometimes the best thing to not obsess is to truly just like step outside of publishing and have experiences that are not related to books or writing um, because I think for me as someone who is a natural obsessor and constantly always in my head if I let myself go down a rabbit hole of like how many books have I sold and what if I didn't hear anything and what could that mean and oh my god everybody hates me like that will be me every second of every day um, but then you know you go outside and sometimes I'll talk to somebody about bookish stuff and they're not in the world at all and they'll be like I have no idea what you're saying <laughs> and you realize like oh my god this is totally just me in my own head and I need like so I have to kind of get out of that space and that helps me with not obsessing and falling down too many rabbit holes um but and also in terms of like when you're in it and you're writing and you're kind of waiting to hear from an agent or you're on sub and you're waiting to hear from publishers, I think the best thing you can do is work on your next project um, and just let the email be what the email is and know that they will get back to you at some point. Yeah, I think that's all such good advice. I think, I mean, it's funny because I feel like to write a book, you have to have read a lot of that kind of book. I mean, other I, I always feel like a writer who doesn't read, I just don't, I'm like, how did you hear about writing? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Why yes. would you do this to yourself? Um, but I, I do, I really feel that, like, if I'm writing something, like, I, my last book um, had a ghost in it. And while I was writing, before I wrote it, I read a, lot, a bunch of ghost, different ghost stories. But then while I was writing it, I didn't want to read any. Mostly because I didn't want to kind of lose my moxie for it or be like, well, look, this person already did it so much better. <laughs> point and I think it's that like listening to just how reading something makes you feel like if you're reading um a novel while you're trying to write your novel and it's making you feel just like excited and full of possibility then like yes keep reading that and if you're reading it and you're like I'm an idiot why would I ever write like there's like some it's in like one of Virginia Woolf's diaries where she um is talking about reading Proust and she's like what's the point of writing? He's so amazing. He's already written everything. It's like, damn, Virginia, even you? <laughs> like, no one is immune. But, um, yeah, just, like, the stuff that sort of makes you feel full of possibility, I think, is good to read. Absolutely. Um, so, just to close us out, you've given wonderful advice, both of you, today. Thank you. Um, if you could offer, like, the the most important, uh, most helpful piece of advice that you wish you had heard before you embarked on your novel, what would that be? What do you wish you'd known before you started? One thing. I mean, I'll say something that, that someone did say to me that was very helpful and that is helpful to me every time, which is that we've kind of already said, but just write the book that you want to read. That's it's it. Great advice. <laughs> Um, I think for me, I would totally co-sign that. And I also like Amy, you talking about losing your moxie and just like feeling 
like an imposter and all of those kind of thoughts that creep into our brains, I can totally relate. And I think a lot of us can. And so I guess what I would say is um, even if you feel like your idea has been done, even if you're not sure it's going to be good, even if like all of those things creep into your mind, still write it, right? We need new books, new voices, and no one is going to write your story the way that you are. So go for it. I love that. Yeah. And I would just add on to that and say, you know, I've worked with writers who will say, well, I mean, does the world need this book? And it's like, the answer is always no. Like, not really. There are a lot of books. Yeah. It's fine. But like, do you need to write this book? Do you want to write this book? Then you should write it and it will find its way to readers. And then retroactively, people will be like, we needed this book. Um, but no one knows how they feel about it until you write it. So exactly. I I love that. Thank you both. This was a wonderful conversation. I I learned a lot and hopefully I did too. I had so much fun. (laughs) Good ideas. Yeah. So thank you so much, Crystal and Amy for being with us. I hope you'll come back and talk again to, uh, to me and to thought Fox listeners and viewers really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. And also, I totally want to come down to the storefront. I'm like, I wrote it down so that next time I'm in the area. Yeah. <laughs> you feel really? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you all for joining us today, taking a little time out of, I'm sure you're busy schedules to join us here at ThoughtFox Writers Den. Um, Look on the website for classes, events, consulting opportunities, really anything and everything um, writing related. And if you have ideas about what you'd like to see ThoughtFox offer, please share them as well. We're always looking for um, new programming. So until next time, thank you so much and see you soon.